I think that the communication will change, or at least I hope the communication will change from the companies. So the companies will more talk to you like a friend, give you advice and try to help you instead of setting to you something like a big corporation. So I think this shift will definitely happen. I hope so at least, which also means that, you know, sending the right messages at the right time, as we already spoke about. So that communication is going to get more human, hopefully. Today on the podcast, I spoke to Toby Lütter, who is head of CRM at Delivery Hero. Great conversation where he dove into things related to GDPR, how opt-in consent is a huge topic for them at Delivery Hero, how they manage communication across all of their channels when it comes to trying to grow lifetime value, some of the key metrics that they're tracking for that, as well as a number of migrations that they do because of the nature of how Delivery Hero has grown over the years. I think really, really interesting stuff when it comes to how to kind of build out your stack, uh, how to engage people at the right time, and how timing is basically critical in the journey, not just the content. So have a listen to Toby from Delivery Hero, uh, diving into all things CRM when it comes to their business. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening to and watching the one-to-one consumer marketing podcast. Today, I am speaking with Toby Lüder at Delivery Hero. Toby, thanks so much for chatting with me today. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to our conversation. You know, before we get started, can you tell everyone a little bit more about yourself, your background, how you ended up at your current role at Delivery Hero and and what you're doing there? Yeah, of course. I'm Toby. I'm based in Berlin. I'm German and I studied business administration. I was always interested in marketing. So for me, it was natural to also pursue a career in marketing. Initially, I wanted to be an SEO consultant which then didn't really work out because I got a job as a CRM manager. In the beginning, I didn't even know what it was. So I Googled what it actually means when I got my first job in CRM. Since then, I've been working in CRM for six years now. Five of those, I've been working at Delivery Hero. And I started off as a junior, but uh, yeah, made my way up uh, somehow. So now I'm the head of uh, CRM at Delivery Hero, and I'm responsible for the European markets. Nice. We'll have to get into how you made your way up uh, somehow to become kind of a CRM leader at Delivery Hero. And I'm sure you've seen various things in terms of what you're actually doing on a day-to-day kind of job as you've moved through those roles. Can you talk me through a little bit kind of the benefits of having done those things yourself and then moved into a more leadership role? And then how has that changed as you've become a leader? Yeah, so I mean, obviously in the beginning, when you start off as a junior, you don't know much. I was like, you know, benefiting a lot from having a big team and learning everything from a lot of peers. But you're setting everything up yourself. It's mostly execution at that point, which then in return is now benefiting me because I know exactly what my team has to do. I can set expectations and I know the technical background of something. So I know if something is technically possible, how long it's going to take. So it's really good for expectation management. Also, if you have a big team, you can always give advice on certain things. What I think is not as easy, and I also had to have some time to adjust to it, is that you think a lot about the tool, because if you work with the same tool the whole time, you always think in this tool, but you really have to do at some point, you have to look outside the box. So like think about new possibilities also involve other teams, right? So I'm not only managing my own team, but I'm also working closely with product and so on, looking for new features, new capabilities that are meant for retention, but not actually executed by my own team. So that's, I think, the one one thing you have to watch out for. I think that's easier if you change companies because it might not be aware of the tools, so you might not know the technical limitations that you might have. Yeah, but and it does give you a very strong footing, I think, to be also a good manager to understand 
the tools that your teams are working in every day to understand really like the technical foundation of that. I think that gives you, it's definitely a strength, but you're right. I think I've experienced this myself as well. When you move more into a leadership role, you also have to give up control of the tool to some extent, and you have to become much more a coach, much more an understanding of like, also, I think you're not always going to be the technical specialist. It's hard to stay on top of everything. Uh, Have you noticed that as well? With as you kind of have grown your team, that the people that you have in place managing particular parts of it are sometimes come to you with ideas or come to you with new things that can improve the stack as a whole? Yeah, definitely. So obviously, if you move more into a leadership position, you lose track a bit of the tool, right? And the tool is Mm -hmm. developing rapidly. Um, Usually, like industry is moving very fast right now. So there's a lot of new developments and my team is usually aware of those way earlier than me. So they come up to me, ask, hey, can we do this or can we try this? And I'm always encouraging them to, you know, just do it, do it in a controlled manner, of course. But Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. That's usually the best part because you're obviously giving up control, but this also has a lot of benefits, right? You don't want to micromanage your team. So I think that's very powerful. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things as you, if you come from the background of having done it yourself, you have to take some time to get out of that micromanagement approach. I know it it was always hard for me, uh, but it it is how you're going to get the most out of your team. I mean, you touched on it a little bit as far as the pace of change and things rapidly evolving all the time with the tools. Can you summarize a little bit how you see the current state of consumer marketing, maybe from a tool perspective, but also more broadly? Yeah. So from a CRM perspective, what I see right now is that lots of the communication is based around deals. This might also be because of the macroeconomic factors that people try to get the best deal if they can expect a similar service from, from you or your competitor. So everything is really driven by the price right now. And I think that building up brand loyalty is very difficult right now in this environment where people always try to get the best deal out of everything. And yeah, in general, people just receive a lot of notifications, right? This has always been the case, but I think there's like an ad fatigue and people really don't spend much time to to understand your product, uh, to read your emails, um, also pay attention to your push notifications. So yeah, they're always looking for this price tag might, you know, give them like a good discount or a good voucher. Yeah, I think I can imagine that in a competitive market, especially in the in the delivery yeah. space, that it really becomes like that discount is so key and interesting how you mentioned ad fatigue, but in the context of notifications, so almost kind of notification fatigue or more marketing fatigue yeah. more generally, because I think we wouldn't necessarily associate notifications directly with ad fatigue. But me personally, I know that I go through that a lot, that there is you know, you do tend to shut off certain apps, like in their notifications, you're trying to take control of your, you know, your notification life, your phone life a bit more uh, to stop with the yeah. distractions. Is that something that, you know, you've found very challenging in your current role? Yeah, it's definitely a thing. So also for iOS, you have uh, different features now that, you know, you can blend out certain and notifications, you can take out the urgency and you have like a summary, for example, you can definitely see that push notifications are not as effective as they, they were before. So yeah, we can definitely see that, but there's still no way around it. So we still have to use push notifications, but sometimes you can just be a bit smarter when you want to send those and when you can expect the reaction for the mm-hmm. message that you sent. Yeah. And so you've touched on it a little bit, but in that space, right, in a heavily kind of discount focused space where there are a lot of competitors and there's a lot of different companies vying for the attention of the same consumer, you know, how do you think about retention and lifecycle marketing? in that space and does retention and lifecycle marketing have a, a big place in your in your current marketing team strategy? It definitely, because right now, I think basically every business wants to make money right now. So everyone wants to be profitable and most companies already spend a lot for, for acquisitions. 
So obviously you make most of your money with already existing customers and you want to make sure that you improve the customer lifetime value and that you actually made money with the customer that you paid for. So it definitely has a big place in the company. And lifecycle management is very important to also get this personalization aspect within your marketing communication, right? So people expect to be treated differently. If they are new customers, for example, you also need to, to shape your strategy, for example. You need to be a bit more educational, explain your product, explain how the app is going to be used, or even just get them to actually download the app. So you have to treat them very differently. And VIP customers is the same. So VIP customers, they always expect a bit of a different message, uh, maybe a better deal or some sort of personalization. So it's definitely super important. Yeah, so it sounds like really building out those different cohorts of customers and then how you treat them is is pivotal to how you shape your strategy. Maybe outside of what you're focusing on directly within CRM and kind of retention and lifecycle, has the role of CRM, you know, you mentioned that every company is trying to be profitable now and that there's more focus on retention and kind of getting more from existing customers than acquiring new customers. Is that the case at Delivery Hero? Have you seen like a, a big shift in that in, over the last six months? There has been a bit of a shift. So we've definitely, you know, grown our CRM budget just because the user base is naturally evolving. If you have more customers, mm -hmm. you can also spend more money on those customers, right? And you need to keep them happy. But what you can also see that right now, the budget for acquisition marketing has also grown because it's more competitive as you also touched upon earlier. And it's definitely important to get people inside the funnel, right? So CRM mm -hmm. is a lot, but it's not everything. So you always need to like new customers to come in from top of the funnel via sessions, for example, to convert and then go into the user base. So that's just like the way it goes. So I wouldn't say it's specifically to CRM, but yeah, in general, obviously the role of CRM has definitely got more attention now. Yeah, more attention on retention. That's the theme that I'm hearing a lot these days that I, I think is very important as you know businesses try to adapt to a very competitive and quite a, just a different economic climate yeah. as well. You mentioned iOS 14 struggling to engage some of your customers with notifications when they turn those things off. Can you talk me through some of your biggest challenges when it comes to customer retention and loyalty right now? Yeah, so the biggest challenge that we usually have in Europe is uh, in general uh, GDPR and getting people to opt in to emails to push notifications and so on. So like actually to be able to actually do marketing, right? Because you can have the best setup in retention if you don't have a channel to actually send. It's kind of a nuisance, right? So that's like the biggest challenge right now to get people to uh, subscribe to all of those messages and to obviously keep the app, right? To not deinstall the app right away. And I think that's like the biggest challenge so far. We had some tool integrations, especially for iOS 14, which really helped like in-app messages that just pop up and it also gives you a bit more context so you can personalize them and you know you don't have to go with the uh, uh, standard messages that you would receive on the system but you can rather explain them what this is actually for like why mm -hmm. why do you want to send email notifications you can advertise it a bit better you can tell them hey um, you can sign in and then you will get promotions deals whatever so have a bit of a marketing framework on this okay so it's you know you have those challenges but in some ways it's more kind of attention is being paid to how you manage the expectation of your customers within that experience and to try to yeah. push them to actually subscribe to those notifications. So you're finding ways yeah. to to create those incentives. Okay. Yeah. It's definitely also changed some of our metrics, right? So I'm not sure mm -hmm. if you know about the email feature, but essentially every email that you get to an iOS inbox is um, already opened by default, mm -hmm. which obviously has a big influence on all of our KPIs because then all of a sudden the the open rate spiked, but like no one actually read the emails, right? So you pay more attention to the click-through rate because this is the one one thing that's not changed because of this change. But 
yeah, they're like some smaller things. You can adapt to it, but it's never going to be perfect. But it definitely screwed some of all KPIs as well. Yeah, I believe it. I think Apple Mail privacy put a lot of email marketers yeah. on edge. And you mentioned, yeah. okay, so, you know, open rate is something that you essentially ignore. That's too bad. You could have maybe got a promotion based on the open rate alone <laughs> yeah. overnight. Probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so you're focusing more on, on click-through rate. Are there any other kind of metrics that you're tracking in relation to retention and loyalty that are important to you beyond just like those kind of initial engagement metrics? Yeah, so actually we're not paying that much attention to the engagement metrics. We're using mm -hmm. this to see if the channel is healthy and if maybe, you know, from a content perspective, we need to send something that's maybe more relevant. What we're mostly focused on, obviously, would be orders or like incremental orders in that case. We always have in the control group. It's like the beauty of CRM that you can always test everything. Uh, mm -hmm. So we're definitely taking advantage of this. We're paying more attention to things like the voucher value that we're giving out, the expiry date of the vouchers and having, you know, different tests like this. So yeah, the KPIs are mostly around this. Obviously, order frequency and so on are very important for us. But like those are like one of the you know bigger KPIs that, that we want to optimize for. Okay, yeah. So order order frequency. I'm assuming kind of average order value, and then exactly, essentially exactly. you get into customer lifetime value as being. Is that would you say customer lifetime value is kind of your north star KPI, like the big one for you? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. We're not only using the customer lifetime value that, uh, you know, looks into the past, but rather like what's the expected future value of the customer, which I think is uh, very mm -hmm. powerful. Uh, you can yeah. only achieve this if you have like a big state data science team, of course. But yeah, so you don't only look into what happened in the past, but like what's going to happen most likely in the future. So right. uh, that's like one of our KPIs. Yeah. And based, I'm assuming, also on the expected kind of duration of the, the customer lifetime and things like that as well. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And you mentioned, I mean, just to dig into that a little bit, because I think it's often the details that matter uh, in terms of how you're doing CRM and thinking about retention, you mentioned incremental purchases. So you are typically when you're testing new channels or new offers and things like that, are you always doing this against a control within your CRM and you're testing the actual incremental lift of your programs? Yeah, so we always have a control group that's not getting anything from our campaign. But what we also have to also verify that what we're doing in retention is actually beneficial for the company, we have a global control group. So those guys mm -hmm. never receive any CRM communication from us. They're excluded from every single campaign that we send. So we can also verify on a very high level basis, okay, what we're doing actually drives value to the company. So yeah, I would encourage everyone to use this because if you yeah have a campaign and the control group, usually the control group will perform worse unless there's like an external factor that maybe you didn't account for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's by the way, also why it's so difficult sometimes to work with incremental orders, because if you have a big promotion going on, let's say free delivery for every customer, obviously the control group will also benefit from this. So this might screw your results as well. So it, you might mm -hmm. lose incremental value, even though the campaign was actually performing way better than you would, would think. So there's yeah. also one of the dangers with it. And so just so I understand, you mentioned like the global control group that is really across Every market you've decided there is this subset of customers that will never get anything from us. And we're just going to see, always compare back to that baseline. It's very interesting. Yeah. I think that takes like a certain mentality to accept in order to get true statistical significance and really measure lift that we're just going to accept this group of customers. We could eventually try to get more money from them, but yeah. for the purposes of actually doing our modeling and testing, we're going to never do that. I think that speaks very much to like your focus on really doing true control group tests, which is, I think, is a nice example. You mentioned email and like the changes in open rates and how that affects, you know, you, are there other channels that you're using? Can you talk me through a little bit your channel mix and whether you're seeing certain channels perform better than others? 
Yeah, so I think every channel has the specific target audience. So obviously we're using push notifications, uh, we're using in-app messages. Sometimes we're also using SMS, it's a bit tricky sometimes, and email, of course. Web push, we're also using not that much though. People don't usually opt into this. But yeah, it really depends on the channel. So best performing, I can't really tell you because most of the time what we're doing is we're checking what people are opted in for. We're trying to use everything that they're opted in for, right? If you're subscribed mm -hmm. for push notifications, but also for email, we try to switch it up. We send you both. If you're only able to receive emails, then obviously you're only going to get emails. And it's also difficult or like it's important to understand how the channels work and what you can do with them. So for example, an email is like the best example to do educational content, to explain something that's a bit more complex, uh, maybe especially for new customers, it's a very good tool. Or if you have partner promotions where you have to, I don't know, explain like a giveaway or something. Push notifications, on the other hand, are way more timely. So I, if I send you a push notification close to dinner, you might change your mind. You might order in for, for dinner, for example. So the conversion is obviously way higher for, for push notifications. Also with a deep link, I can just get you way down the funnel, right? I can essentially mm -hmm. take you directly to your basket, for example. So the conversion rates for, for push notifications is obviously way better, but uh, mm -hmm. communicating with old customers that might not even have your app is obviously only possible via email. Yeah, the best results I think are for SMS, but it's also where the most complaints are coming in. So people also complaining that they receive an SMS. It just stands out like SMS, I think on average have like an operator of like 99%. So everyone is watching those, but yeah, you're, not everyone likes to receive SMS notifications. Yeah, yeah. I think also, I guess in the context of some of the challenges you mentioned around GDPR, that probably also yep. has some issues. Maybe going back to that a little bit, you know, obviously you're talking about multiple channels about just essentially getting in front of people on every channel that you can based on their opted in preferences and things like that. How big of a headache has GDPR been for you? How do you manage consent at the scale that you're talking about effectively? It's been a big challenge for us, uh, especially in the past when it wasn't, you know, that GDPR heavy, you could send emails to people if they placed an order essentially, because you can assume that they're interested in your content and then you're able to send emails. Once um, GDPR hit and we actually had to have like a marketing consent, uh, our opt-in rates dropped drastically, of course. We then built, you know, features also from our side to increase opt-in rates again. So, for example, we uh, had in-app messages popping up for people that are unsubscribed to ask them, hey, you can subscribe again. And this would, you know, appear like every month if you're unsubscribed. So mm -hmm. we tried this for both web and apps. It's definitely painful for us if you all of a sudden lose like half of your contactable base. Yeah. And so that for you has been also a focus, not just getting the most out of the people that are subscribed in various places, but really trying to increase the number of opt-ins across the different channels. Exactly. Okay. And I think you've touched on a few of the things that are challenges. What is maybe something that makes you more optimistic or that's more exciting for you in terms of a marketing trend or a technology that's available today? So I'm super interested in this whole AI topic. So this has gotten like a lot of uh, hype recently, of course, even though it's around for, for way longer than the hype is going on right now. But I think that's a great opportunity, especially for CRM. So CRM is a very content heavy channel, right? So you need a lot of copy, you need a lot of creatives for it. And usually the time to, you know, initiate a campaign to actually go live is usually like a week, sometimes even a month. It depends how many people you can have. But mm -hmm. the best CRM content is usually real time. So if I send you a notification that's based on something that happened today, then it has a way more impact than if I sent you a Christmas campaign at, you know, sometime in December, for example. 
So I think that AI can really help make Serum faster to be, you know, more relevant in the future with less resources, especially if you work in a company that has multiple languages and you have so much copy to prepare for anything. So I think AI can help not only CRM, but especially CRM. Yeah, I think that's a great, like the time to notification almost can accelerate a lot so that yeah, therefore exactly. you get you get exactly what you want to get in front of people quickly. I know that at Spectrum as well, so we work with a lot of international customers and the translation aspect is a huge unlocker for us, like the yeah. ability to use something like AI to quickly translate entire conversation structures, entire customer journeys is something that we've seen as a huge asset. And I'm sure that in your case as well, if you had the ability to make something timely and then quickly push it out to 15 different languages and markets, like the amount of engagement and then ultimately the repeat purchases would be very different. So I think, yeah, there's lots of reasons to be excited. On the, the technical side, I know we've we've talked about this a little bit outside of the interview, so I wanted to just bring it in as well. You've done a ton of migrations. So, you know, it's not something that everyone has done. I think, can you talk a little bit about that process? How many have you done? What, what was it like? What are the reasons behind why you've done so many kind of integrations, migrations in CRM? Yeah, so I think in total, I've worked on at least 18 migrations and rebrandings. It's because of the history of Delivery Hero in a way, because in Europe, how Delivery Hero grew back then was by um, acquiring new brands, and new companies to enter the market, right? So we acquired new brands, but also new CRM tools, new backends with completely new user bases uh, that we can, we can start with. And then at some point, obviously, because you want to scale it up, you want to be efficient, you need to integrate those into your own brands or your own tools. So you always have to do um, a migration. Maybe to explain a bit of the difference between a rebranding and a migration, because I think not everyone might know this. Rebrandings mm -hmm. on paper relatively easy because the only thing that you do is you change the color of your brand, which is not easy at all, but it, it, it sounds a bit more easy if I say it like this. But you keep your user base and it's easier. You can essentially just continue with your marketing. You can use the same channel, you can reach the same customers. You don't have to worry about opt-ins or any changes. What happens during a migration? You're changing the complete apps. You're changing also the backend. There are also different scenarios, but in most cases, it means that you have to tell your customer to download a completely new app, which is obviously a huge risk for your mm -hmm. whole user base because everyone, uh, you, you can lose every customer that you have. It also has technical implications because what you're essentially doing is you're creating a second profile for every customer, like one for the old app, one for the new app, and you have to keep them in sync. If uh, mm -hmm. the customer from the old app, for example, unsubscribe from anything, you have to reflect this as well on the on, on, on the new app as well. So. It's a lot of different challenges that you have during a migration, but CRM is like a crucial tool to actually get those customers come over to the new app and yeah, start building like a brand love again, eventually. Yeah, it just hurts my head even thinking about the technical aspects of managing consent and then, you know, getting all of those customers over to a new CRM and having them be engaged. Are you, having done so many what is the most effective way for you to do it? Are you identifying kind of cohorts again of like how you treat, are you treating certain people differently as you try to migrate them based on their behavior or is it more, okay, let's just get everyone over, let's tear off the band-aid. Like what is the approach for you? Yeah, so usually you have to work with what you have. So if you mm -hmm. use like a different CRM tool, you might not have all the data points you need. One example is in one migration, I just had uh, the total amount of orders, but I didn't know when this order, like the last order was actually done. So this customer, even though had like a, like 50 orders, but I didn't even know how recent was this order. So this could be mm. like an inactive customer essentially. So this is like one thing, like you have to figure out like what data points you can actually use and how valuable are those data points to you. 
And then usually what you do is in the beginning, you have like a natural transition. Your most active customers and your most loyal customers will always do the switch first. So mm-hmm. like you don't have to incentivize anything. But then you're right, you definitely uh, take like the, you know, predicted future value of those customers and then you can try to incentivize them and then treat them differently, right? Your most VIP customer that you definitely want to keep, try to give them a higher incentive than someone that maybe is, um, has been like a random customer uh, in the old app before. So you, you treat them differently for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I guess then also like you brought up that predicted value again. So really understanding yep. what is the value of even bringing this customer over and like how much am I willing to pay to do that? I think that's obviously a key part of that. You've touched on it a little bit. You know, I think you mentioned personalization at the start as well. I think every brand right now is trying to personalize marketing uh, at mm-hmm. scale. And it's obviously a major challenge, particularly when in the context of 18 migrations, multiple brands, like different apps coming together. How are you kind of connecting one-to-one with current and potential customers right now? So I think if you want to do this at scale, it's super important that you have multiple teams working on this. You need everyone on board. You need your product team to provide you specific data points that you might need to have this personalized communication, but also you need a good commercial team with good deals. Uh, you need BI or, you know, the right set of data. And you need in general people that are interested in, in marketing, which is not always the case when you talk about product. They're usually quite annoyed about like in notifications, ruining their, their funnel and everything, uh, ruining yeah. their, their, their CVR. But that's like one thing. If you want to do that scale, you need, um, you need like everything. And then the other thing is you need personalized messages, but also the right timing for everything. So to give you one example would be like a replenishment campaign. You ordered something, let's say you ordered toilet paper and then it's like time to refresh and buy toilet paper again. But if I don't send you this message at the correct time, you might not be interested, even though you're interested in toilet paper, for example. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of like timing that's also very relevant. I think that not many people are talking about this timing aspect as well. Uh, Mostly about like, I don't know, the first name, last name, personalization aspect of, of the emails. <laughs> yeah, but timing, timing so crucial, like right message, right person, but right time yeah. is really what's going to influence the purchase behavior the most. And, you know, you mentioned also earlier on kind of the how close you are to the action, right? You mentioned the difference between email as educational content, but yep. in-app notifications will immediately drive a conversion because it's just so much closer to the checkout process. And like you have more options in terms of creating that more seamless connection. So I think that's very true. I think the timing, the more that I talk to kind of heads of CRM, I've really seen that like they're digging into data around the timing of when people buy, like how it fits within their current day and using that as a, as a key trigger uh, as far as personalization. So that definitely aligns with what I've seen. Maybe taking a step back and thinking about, you know, your career, your move from individual contributor to a leader in CRM at Delivery Hero. Can you talk through three pieces of advice you would give other consumer marketers, other CRM marketers? Yeah, so I think one thing is definitely what I learned is that uh, you have to keep it simple. You might understand your product, but your your customers don't. So it's really important that you explain it in very simple words. Like talk about CRM, people will not take the time to read through your whole email. Like uh, people will, will like maybe see the header image. They will, will read like the first lines, but they will not spend that much time on it. So keep it simple, but also it's more time efficient in that way. And also talking about the timing aspect, sometimes it's just also good for you to understand when to not send a communication. So sometimes it's not only about timing, but like, do should I send this message at all? Because you might always be at the risk of like, this person might unsubscribe, for example, and then you have to win them back and so on. So it can lead to more harm than this. So like learning mm-hmm. when to not send a message is also quite important, especially because everyone's pushing you to send more and more and more. But 
sometimes less is more, uh, mm -hmm. for sure. And the third thing is definitely that experiments in CRM is everything, but you shouldn't over-engineer your experiments. So uh, most of the time, it's better to do like very simple and short experiments to uh, see if it works or not. If it doesn't work, then you can, you can pivot quickly. And if it works, you can, you know, flash it out. But like, it's very important to do those uh, very quick tests and to not overthink and over-engineer those tests. I think those would be like the like three main points of advice. Uh, yeah, I, would I give. think that's good advice. You know, keep it simple. Uh, don't always send a message and don't over-engineer some of your tests. I think there is definitely a tendency to just always go with more and like more complex is better. Uh, but it's rarely the case. I feel like simpler is better and and kind of time to learning is better and your time to learning is much faster when you are able to execute a simpler test. Looking, you know, you mentioned AI. Mm -hmm. Five years from now, what do you feel like the future of CRM marketing looks like? What has changed if I have this conversation with you in five years? I don't know. I'm going to be five years older. Um, <laughs> I don't know. No, but that's the uh, only certainty. <laughs> that's, that's, that's for sure. No, I think it's tough to say it because five years is so long. Uh, it's very long in our industry. I think that the communication will change, or at least I hope the communication will change from the company. So the companies will more talk to you like a friend, give you advice and try to help you instead of setting to you something like a big corporation. So I think this shift will definitely happen. I hope so at least, which also means that, you know, sending the right messages at the right time, as we already spoke about. So that communication is going to get more human, hopefully. And the other thing that I think is going to happen is that everyone's going to rely more on first party data, which is great for CRM. But I think that um, tracking is going to be more restricted in the future and uh, that you're going to take a lot of advantage from CRM data, right? Like if you send a survey to your customer, for example, or just track user behavior, I think that, yeah, those are like the points of data that we're going to use most for marketing communication. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more as you know, someone who at Spectrum, we are in the messaging space, in the conversational yeah. marketing space. Hearing you say that, you know, you want things to be more human, more on like the ways that people interact with friends and then more based on first party data. It definitely sounds like it's the kind of future that we also see as the future. So I'm glad that your vision is the same there. That's all we have time for today, Toby. I think really enjoyed our conversation. If people want to learn more about you and the work that you're doing at Delivery Hero, where should they go? I guess LinkedIn is the easiest one. Okay, well, you heard Toby, reach out to him on LinkedIn. Uh, if you listen to the episode, uh, feel free to DM him. Please DM me if you have any feedback, suggested topics or speakers. I always love to hear from people that are listening to the podcast. And as a reminder, if you want to learn more about Spectrum and the work that we do in messaging, go to spectrum.io or check out Spectrum on LinkedIn. And thanks so much for listening today. Toby, thanks again for joining. It's a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks for having me.